Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. Listen in as we continue our 167 series by taking a closer look at Romans 12.2. Kicking off a new year with a new series called 167 or 167. And the idea behind this new series is to invite you to think about and be intentional with the 167 hours of the week that you're not right here. There are 168 hours of the week for everybody. We pencil in one hour a week for worship at 9.30 for you. We hope that's a commitment that you want to keep and will keep in this new year as you look ahead. But what about those other 167 hours? Last week, we gave you a, a blank weekly calendar with one slot filled in for worship, but the rest was yours to think about. We gave you this calendar as an invitation to consider how you're using your time. And, and maybe more importantly, an opportunity to think about how you want to use your time. Uh, we realize you, you can't just do whatever you want with those 168 hours of the week. There are commitments and there are important obligations that you have in your life, and we want you to live into those, but you do have some discretion. And, and everyone, I know we're all busy, but everyone has the same amount of time every week, all of us. I'm curious, and, and I guess we're inviting you to be curious as well. Are you living the life you want to live? Are, are you living the life that God has called you to live? Is, is this the life you thought it would be? And, and are there things you want to do differently? Is your life workable or is it kind of chaotic and out of integrity and out of control? These are questions we're curious about and we want you to be curious about. And equally important, are you intentional and purposeful with your time throughout a week? I believe that, that God called us to be salt and light on the way. God has called us to be um, disciples and to share the gospel as we go. So throughout a week, as we move through a week, it, it doesn't have to be weird. And I appreciate what Pastor Sai um, talked about last week. Maybe in, in Sioux Center, you, you can hear this for the first time, but it, it doesn't have to be weird. I think that's pretty important. As you move through a day, do simple things. Like look people in the eye. Smile. Like a smile makes a difference, and I'm, I'm one to learn that. I need to smile a little more. Uh, a smile makes a huge difference. Simple things like being kind, like intentionally be kind to people. Uh, treat people with respect and, and dignity. These simple things will make a, a pretty significant difference, and what we're just inviting you into is simple ways to let the love of Christ shine through you, to, to try to let people see um, that Jesus is at work with you, within you. This is achievable regardless of, of your schedule, and, and this is a wonderful place to start. So if you're not sure where to start, start with a smile, start with some kindness, and just a little more intentionality as those 168 hours unfold throughout a week. So in this series, um, we're going to be hanging out in Romans chapter 12 for the next couple weeks, and this guy named Paul, who is a follower of Jesus, he, he wrote this, this letter, and he, and he begins chapter 12 with this word, therefore. Now, as you read your Bible, as you become readers of the Bible, every time you come across a therefore, you have to stop and consider what the therefore is there for. Uh, usually, therefore is a hinge that connects uh, what follows 
to what preceded it. And in this case, it connects back to all 11 chapters of Romans that preceded it. In those 11 chapters, Paul is explaining the theological foundation which we now stand on because of the grace of Jesus Christ. The, the foundational doctrines, I don't want to use that word a ton, the, the foundational doctrines on what it means to be saved by the grace of Jesus, it is rich and it is wonderful and it's complex and I'd encourage you to, to go back in your devotional time and, and luxuriate in, in the depth of what Jesus has done and what it means for you. So Paul has all this in mind, and as Paul rounds the bases from chapter 11 to chapter 12, the focus shifts from taking the truth laid out in the first 11 chapters and putting it into practice in these next chapters to come. And this is what our focus is on in this series, taking the truth that's laid out in the gospel and putting it into practice, living out the truth of the gospel in everyday life. This morning, we're going to focus on, on just one verse, Romans 12, 2, and that might not sound like much to you, but it, it feels like way too much to me. This one is a challenge, and I, I think it's a little overwhelming, so I, I appreciate your, your grace. This passage and its implications invite us to engage um, the philosophical current that's impacting every part of our life and the complexity of the philosophies at work around us. And, and the truth of this is these ideas and these philosophers and, and the, the scope of history this covers takes me to the very outer limits of my understanding. It is a challenge to hold in my head. Um, the truth is, I don't think this is probably the time or even the format to, to give you some philosophical proofs and, and have an academic conversation about this. It, I certainly don't think I'm able um, to have that kind of conversation that would stand up to the academic scrutiny that it invites. So, I'm not going to try. You're welcome. <laughs> Rest assured, there, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of a research that, that I've, I've went through that's all, all not part of this message at all. It just all got cut and it's on the floor somewhere. Um, we're just trying to hold up a framework this morning to invite you to think about things you're not thinking about that are impacting you. So, my goal this morning is simply to awaken you and introduce you to the forces that work around you, whether you see them or not, to give you just a basic framework of awareness. And, and, and I hope a fixed aiming point to help navigate the complexity of the world. So um, be aware of what is true and, then, and also an, an ability to make a step forward in the complexity that we're faced with. So it's my hope that you'd courageously and winsomely engage the world around you. That's what a, a disciple, a Christ follower is called to do. And we do that out of the love that flows from Christ in us. So that's the hope. Before we go to God's word, let's ask the Spirit to open our hearts and our minds, especially our minds, to it this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, our single concern. Amen. So the scripture is Romans 12, verse 2. You're welcome to follow along if you have a, a Bible or a preferred electronic device in which you read scripture. We're going to have it up on the screen for you as well. Romans 12, 2, Paul is writing, he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's where I want to start. 
Two things. First, the power of an idea. I don't know if, if we know how powerful ideas are and, and the grip that they have on us. Ideas and philosophies um, that were cemented into place over 100 years ago at the turn of the 18th to the 19th centuries and the 19th to the 20th centuries. These philosophies are now foundations. They're the foundations of the pattern of the world that you experience every day. And, and there's so much distance between the philosophy and the fruit that you may not be aware of, of the forces that work around you and, and why, the logic behind them. And, and second, so the second thing I, I want to hold up for you, there is no natural immunity. You're not immune to this. You're not able to be immune to this. The pattern of the world is everywhere. You can't avoid it. You can't hide from it. You can't isolate yourself from it. You can't abstain. It's in you. And here's the truth. Either you belong to Jesus or you belong to the pattern of this world. There's nothing else. So two things. Ideas are powerfully at work in shaping the world around you and shaping you from the inside. And two, you are not immune. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. To conform means to, to comply with the rules, the standards and the laws. Uh, Paul says, do not conform. And he's not saying, go be a lawbreaker. Don't go be a rebel. Paul's saying, do not comply with the laws of the pattern of this world, the standards, the rules of the pattern of this world. And I wonder, I wonder if you're like me. Do you, do you fold your newspaper or swipe out of your news app and kind of lean back and think, what is going on in the world? Like, how did we get here? How, how can people be like this to each other? Um, what is this doing to me? How can I feel like this towards someone else? Clearly something is broken. And the, the memory of goodness, faint as a watermark, the memory of goodness cries out within us somewhere deep that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We feel it. Even if we can't put it into words, the pattern of this world, the pattern of this world is brokenness. We're faced with this reality um, all the time. Typically, Christians respond in a couple ways. Here's a, here's a few. We avoid, which we talked about trying to do. Um, avoidance. We try to withdraw from the world. We avoid the world. We abstain from the world. We, we boldly stick our head in the sand as if we could be immune from its influence. But like I said, there is no immunity. This is a problem you cannot avoid. It's in you. You're part of it. Or maybe we become angry. That's that's kind of the, the soup of the day here. You become angry and frustrated and we become more polarized. And I mean, I don't have to give a lot of illustrations of what that looks like and how we participate in it. Um, in our anger and our frustration, we attack. We put our hope for change in worldly institutions, what are, which are just certain to disappoint us because they're not immune either. These worldly institutions are not going to be able to heal the brokenness in the world. And we grow even more frustrated. And then we, we splinter. We break into smaller groups and echo chambers and we blame other groups and we scapegoat and we tack again. And then at the end of the day, after all the energy we put into this, we, it feels like we're just as angry and frustrated and, and even bitter as we've ever been, except we're even more lonely. And the world, the world hasn't gotten any better at all. Again, ideas are powerful. They permeate everything, and they're everywhere. They're like the air we breathe. 
You know, one fish said to the other fish, how's the water? And the other fish said, what's water, right? This stuff is at work in us all the time. It's the air we breathe. There is no immunity. And you're held captive by these ideas, whether you know it or not, until, until you're set free. When Jesus was on trial before the crucifixion, um, this is in John's gospel, he said, he said his, this kingdom is not of this world. Now, you have to listen closely to, to see this nuanced thread that's running through scripture that I'm trying to pull out for you this morning. You have to listen pretty closely, so check this out. This is John chapter 18, we're going to be in verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, what does that mean? If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then, Pilate said, and apparently laughed, I don't know, mocked. Jesus answered, you're right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And right here, you see the two kingdoms at work. The pattern of this world and the kingdom that Jesus brings. Jesus says, my kingdom is from another place, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Paul says, do not conform any longer. Like, he's assuming you're conforming, because you are. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What are they talking about? What does this mean? To be honest, it is all right at the edge of how I, what I can understand, too. It's, it's tough to imagine what Jesus has done and is doing and will do and how it impacts us, but God is at work in a new way. And I want to give you a framework. I want to give you um, the imagination or the ability to try to imagine what God has done and is doing and will do. So I'm curious, I'm curious in the room, how many of you remember your dreams when you wake up in the morning? We got a couple. Sioux Center, how many? One, two, three. Four, five. I can't count. I'm making that up. How many people can remember your dreams? A couple, a couple. Okay. Quite a few in the room here. Can you remember your dreams in the morning? Most of the time I can't remember. Um, but sometimes I do, and sometimes I have bad dreams, and it seems like those are the ones I remember. I don't know, like when I can fly or other things that are really cool, I don't remember, but the bad ones. And, and sometimes in my dream, and I don't know what this says, I've talked to Pastor Sai about this later, Pastor Chris, like, I have arguments with my wife. Like, and it's, it's ugly, and I wake up, and I'm wrecked. Like, I, 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 my, my body thinks it's real. I wake up, and, and something happened. It feels really real to me, and this is not hyperbole. I kind of go find my wife and be like, are we okay? <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm kind of upset with you, because uh, what you did in my dream, <laughs> and, and we kind of, I work it out, and did this really happen, didn't it? Am I remembering? Dreams can be so real. At least I've experienced in that way. Maybe you have too. Our mind, our, our subconscious is so powerful. It can create whole worlds. And, and when we're in those worlds, they seem pretty real to us. So one more poll of the, of the audience here. Have you ever seen the movie Inception? Couple? Fewer than the people that remember the dreams. It's about... 2010, Sioux Center, Inception, couple, one, all right. Inception is a movie, and I'll, I'll just explain some of the contours of the premise of this movie. It's a, a science fiction movie, which is probably part of why you didn't watch it, um, but here's a quick outline. 
So in the movie, there's a new technology and a chemical compound that allows these uh, travelers of dreams to, to in, enter someone else's mind and go into their dreams. Uh, people can enter into other people's dreams. And, and when they enter into that dream, for them, for those people that travel, it doesn't feel like a dream. It feels really real. And for those dream travelers in the movie, it's hard to distinguish between what is the real world and what's the dream world, what's, what's not real. So why, why would you enter someone else's dreams? In the movie, um, the reason they enter the dream is corporate espionage, which is kind of fun. Uh, either to steal an idea out of someone's mind or to plant an idea in someone's mind. And if they burrow deep enough into the subconscious and they, they crack the safe that holds the, the foundational ideas that this person has built their life on, the first formations and the guiding principles that direct a person's life, they can change those people in the real world. They can take out an idea and they can replace it with a new one. And when that new idea takes root, it not only impacts the dream world that they were in, but the real world. It changes reality. It transforms those people. Now, for the people who travel through dreams in this movie, um, they quickly lose touch of what is real and what's the dream. It all kind of blurs together. So each of them carry with them something they call a totem. And, and essentially, it's an object that, that, that helps them hold on to the truth as they move through what is real and what is not real. And this object will behave, behave differently in the dream world than it will be in the real world. So this object they hold on to to help them navigate is a, is a representation of the truth. It helps them find their way, um, helps them know what is real and true and what is not. So let me, let me explain why I'm using this illustration at all. And I'm asking you to stretch your imagination with me. Ideas are powerful. And there's no natural immunity. You were born into these ideas. Deep, deep inside of you. At the center of your being. In that safe place. Where first formations and guiding principles are stored. The foundation from which we make meaning of the world, from which we draw our values and live into them, that create our reality that we live into. The place that generates the pattern of this world for us. From that place, the truth was stolen and replaced with a lie. In the beginning, we walked with God. It was good. It was, it was very good, actually. Like, so good. We were free. Until the serpent slithered into our life and asked the question, is God really good? Are you sure you can trust him? When the goodness of God was replaced, with suspicion for God. Everything unraveled for us. We ingested, and I don't know if you know the, the, the story in Genesis well enough, but what is it the tree we ate from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We ingested the knowledge deep inside of us of good and evil, and it destroyed us. 
Sin enslaved our hearts. And God's design was replaced by the pattern of this world that Paul is talking about. And what is the pattern of this world? Well, it's certainly complicated. Let me give you just a, an outline. The vast expanse of eternity with God was replaced with a belief that this world, this world is all that there is. The security of being a creature created to glorify God was replaced with the crushing weight of self-glorification. The self-glorification has, has disfigured us. It has obliterated us to such an extent that we, we no longer even resemble image bearers of God anymore. Where the best we can hope for on our own is our very worst selves. The clarity we had when God was our sole focus and aiming point has been replaced with self-focus, creating this dense fog of ambiguity where there are no absolutes, there is no truth. There's no waypoints to find it. This, the perspective and value of, of the embodied presence of the transcendent with us, this is what we had, was replaced with the gluttonous consumption of everything we can get our hands on. So Jesus came. Jesus came. And through his sacrifice for our sin, and out of the power of the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus reached inside of us to bring us from death to life. Jesus reached the very center of our being and removed the lie that God cannot be trusted, that God is not good, and he replaced it with the truth. And here's the truth we stand on. He's risen. This is the goodness of God in a way that that the world could have never comprehended before. Jesus has risen from the dead, and in him we have hope. In him we go from death to life. He has risen. Instead of the lie, the power of the resurrection brings us from death to life. It transforms us from the inside out. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a firm place to stand in this pattern of the world where there is nothing firm to stand on. The resurrected Jesus is, is the cornerstone of a whole new kingdom, and Jesus talks about it, not of this world. We are grounded in the resurrected Jesus, and now the truth wells up from within us, from the very center of our being, and the truth is God is good, and God is with us, and God is for us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Inception marks the beginning. It marks the starting point, maybe a new starting point for you. Not only has the blood of Jesus made our hearts clean, Jesus has gifted us the word of God and the spirit of God who is with us to guide us in the way of Jesus, to discern what is real and what is true and what is right, to help us discern between the kingdom of God and the pattern of this world. God through the the Spirit dwells in us. God is with us. The Word of God and the Spirit of God guide us. Ideas are powerful. This truth, this truth is, is powerful. Let the gift of grace 
and mercy offered through the death and resurrection of Jesus transform and renew your mind, may the reality of what God has done become the animating factor in the life that you're living. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word transform used here in this passage comes from the, the Greek word metamorpho, and that's where we get our English word metamorphosis, where we get um, the process that, that explains the, the transition that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly, metamorphosis. This is a, a dramatic transformation, and I love the illustration because almost all of us, either in video or in person, every, every year we hatch dozens of these things at my house. We see this transformation from, from what was a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. We've had the opportunity to witness this. And on the other side of the chrysalis, there is no mistaking a butterfly for a caterpillar. Have you ever made that mistake? Oh, that's a caterpillar flying through the air. No, on the other side of the chrysalis, there's no mistaking a butterfly for a caterpillar. The, the pattern of this world is a bit like the life of a caterpillar. It's kind of where we're stuck. The world of a caterpillar is, is so small. All the world is the plant they were hatched on. That's it. That's all they can see. The perspective of a, of a caterpillar is so limited. All there is is the leaf they're going to eat in front of them, what they're going to consume next. That's, that's it. But when transformation happens, when transformation happens, when out of the darkness of a chrysalis, a transformed butterfly emerges, not only do you see a world from a whole new perspective and from all new heights, but the world sees you. The world sees you in a whole new way. You look nothing like you looked before. You look nothing at all like you looked before. And the world, the world looks nothing like you thought it was. It's transformed too. You can no longer blend in. If this transformation is true for you, there there really is an option. Those 167 hours that are to come, you can no longer blend in. Your life has been transformed. And once you take all this in, once, once it takes root in the center of your being and starts to generate out from the power of the Spirit, once it takes root in you, second only to your desire to be with this Jesus who saved you is your desire to tell other people about this Jesus who saved your life and for them to experience the transformation that you've experienced too. Every hour of the week, you're going to stand out. You will, like a butterfly, just be a reflection of beauty and grace. Don't you think of beauty and grace when you think of a monarch floating through the air? You'll be a reflection of the beauty and grace that has transformed you. And it's going to be attractive and equally offensive to the pattern of this world. People are going to notice as you stand in the hope and on the hope of the resurrection, as you are reborn yourself, as you hold on to and hold up 
the truth of God's word through the power of the Spirit, you'll be bombarded by all kinds of isms. Think of something with an ism. It's that. All the ways and all the belief systems that are at work to try to make sense of the pattern of this world and give us an anchor point. All these isms that bombard us all the time, they're going to bombard you. It'll start when you leave this place. Do not be afraid. Do not conform. Do not be overwhelmed. You don't have to be reactive. Look to the one who goes before you. When Jesus testified before Pilate, Jesus answered, you're right, in saying, I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world. Why? To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate flippantly asks, Pilate is firmly in the grip of the ism of the time that composed the pattern of the world. Jesus is living a living testimony to the truth. It's why he was born, and Jesus invites us every hour of every day of every week, all 168, to be a living testimony to the truth, to allow the love and transformation of Jesus to overflow from us with beauty and grace with our feet firmly planted on the hope of the resurrection, a firm place to stand, and our hearts and minds guided by the truth of God's word and the gift of the Holy Spirit that leads us, you're able to test and approve what God's will is. You're able to navigate this world and the pattern of this world, and you're able to walk in the way of Jesus. You're able to see the way of Jesus, and you're able to walk in the way of Jesus. This is what God has equipped you for. One, one last illustration uh, from Scripture. This is Daniel, the book of Daniel, so this is the Older Testament, and we're going to just pick out a piece from chapter 4. You're welcome to read the rest of the story. This is a, I believe, this is a snapshot of life that, that illustrates from Scripture the pinnacle of the pattern of this world. Like, if you reached it, what does it look like? I think this is what it looks like. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king in this story, is the most powerful person in the world and maybe the world has ever known at the time. He, he could have and had everything he could even dream of. He had it all. And he had built one of the most beautiful cities ever built. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a city called Babylon. To sum it up in a phrase, and this is a biblical phrase, he had gained the whole world. King Nebuchadnezzar had gained the whole world, and then he has this troubling dream. Isn't this ironic, the dreams that happen and how God's working through them? You can read all about it later today, like I said, but we're going to dial in just to this, this little part of the story where that dream is fulfilled. This is verse 29 of Daniel chapter 4. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from the people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like 
cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like, like feathers of an eagle. And his nails were like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Conforming to the pattern of this world destroys our relationships. It so disfigures us as image bearers of God that we more closely resemble the birds of the air and the beasts of the field than, than the image of our Creator. Do you see what it does to us? And here's the good news. No one, not even King Nebuchadnezzar, is too far gone. No one is beyond saving. When Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes towards heaven, when he raised his eyes towards heaven, his sanity was restored. He broke free from the pattern of this world and he praised the Most High, honoring and glorifying Him who lives forever. As you enter into the next 167 hours of this week, here's my invitation to you. Lift your eyes towards heaven. One of the ways that we do that is by worshiping God. And look, here you are. You're listening, you're worshiping, you're present. You've already taken the first step. This is going to be a great week. Way to start it off well. Can you feel the momentum building? I feel like this is going to be the best week you've had in a long time. Now, as you consider the next 167 hours, when we wrap up here this morning, I want to invite you to pencil in sometime, if you can, to raise your eyes towards heaven. I'm not sure what that means for you. Think about it. What would it mean for you? Raise your eyes towards heaven to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness with your feet firmly planted on the hope of the resurrection, which is a stable place to stand, and your heart and mind guided by the truth of God's word and the gift of his Holy Spirit, be a living testimony. Be a living testimony to the truth. This is why Jesus came. This is what Jesus called us to do. And of all this, this whole thing, this whole message has been, woo, like way too confusing. Um, and none of this stuff is making a lot of sense. Try this this week. Remember, maybe remember this week. I don't know how you're going to do this. It's going to be even more entertaining. Be the butterfly. What about that? What if you try? What if you just remind yourself, like it's Tuesday and you don't remember anything I said, but you remember, oh, I'm going to be the butterfly. I'm going to intentionally reflect grace and beauty today. I'm going to float through this world and I'm going to see it from a different perspective. I'm going to be who God's calling me to be. I'm going to start again today. I'm going to start again this hour. We had a tough hour before. I'm going to start over. And these next five minutes are going to be, I'm going to be the butterfly. As you make your way through this week, be the butterfly. 
intentionally reflecting the beauty and grace of transformation that is yours in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you mindful that, that we are creatures and you are the creator, that, that what is done and what has been done goes beyond what we can understand, but we're equally mindful that you sent your son and our savior Jesus. And in him we have hope and life and everlasting life that Jesus came to demonstrate the goodness and grace of God that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in, in his resurrection, we have the hope that Christ will also bring us from death to life. And this is the place as Jesus' followers that we stand. We stand on this resurrection hope. And nothing can move us. Nothing can hurt us. In Christ, we are saved and we are free and we are with God again. And you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell with us. This is a gift you've given. And you've given us the word to guide us. So God, as we make our way through this week, remind us of the first things. And help us live out of that first principle. That God is good and we see that in the gift of Jesus. And we stand in the hope of the resurrection. And as we try to navigate a complex world with things beyond our understanding, we know that you've gifted us everything we need through the leading of your Holy Spirit and the word that you've given us. So God, as we enter the week, may we reflect and may we be intentional in reflecting the beauty and the grace of a transformed life. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.